over the years, I de developed a system of six essential fragrance categories. Uh, pungent, sweet, green, woody, rooty, and lemony. I would say collectively, we need to treating the oils with respect for the amazing remedies they are for their use as physiological, olfactory, or aromatherapeutic remedies. Essential oils and aromatic waters or hydrosols were always considered almost sacred, the sacred remedies, sacred perfumes. They were used for ritual. We've lost that, and we need to bring it back. The whole psycho-spiritual historical dimension that we need to connect with once again. You're listening to Plant Love Radio, episode number 68. Welcome to Plant Love Radio, a place where you'll discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and resilient life through the wonders of herbal medicine. I'm your host, Lana Camille, a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. You'll love my amazing guests herbal teachers, clinicians, medicine makers, growers, and artists. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hello, friends. I hope you're having a good week. This year, as an educator teaching much of my curriculum online, I had to be creative. For materials for one of the sessions on aromatherapy, I reached out to one of my favorite essential oil companies, Snow Lotus. This gave me an opportunity to explore their website again and speak with their founder, Peter Holmes, who has always been an inspiration for me. Peter is a medical herbalist, clinical aromatherapist, practitioner of Chinese medicine, and a respected author. As he began working with oils in the 1980s as a medical herbalist and acupuncturist, he became aware of the need to have absolutely pure and supreme quality oils for his clinical practice and seminars. This initiated what has become a more than 30-year journey around the world in search of artisan producers distilling on a grassroots and traditional level. His search was for distillers that worked in the time-honored artisanal way, living closely with the very source of the plant materials. This is the best way to collect the distilled fragrant essences of our earth in all of its amazing aromatic diversity. One of Peter's firm beliefs is that essential oils hold an important key to achieving a true cure for illness – cure on the deepest levels of body, mind, and soul, and a promise of individual evolution towards integration and wholeness. In this episode of Plant Love Radio, we spend quite a bit of time talking about Peter's six categories of fragrances, influenced by his knowledge and understanding of Chinese medicine. One of my personal favorites on the list is lemony oils. They always make me so happy. As a result, one listener of the episode will have an opportunity to win Citrus Essential Oil Sampler from Peter's company, Snow Lotus. To participate in this episode's giveaway, please head over to co-fee.com 
slash plantloveradio and comment on the giveaway post or go to the show notes at plantloveradio.com slash 68 and look to the link for podcast bonuses. Enjoy. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? Hi, Lana. Great. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me to your series of podcasts. And thank you for being here. We met a number of years ago at the American Herbalist Guild and talked about your books and your company, Snow Lotus. I was incredibly excited when within about the following six months or so, you had an opportunity to come and teach here in Boston. I immediately Mm. invited you to be a guest lecturer for my students in the School of Pharmacy and attended one of your aromatherapy seminars. Mm. I am incredibly humbled that you are able to talk to me today and to share your wisdom and your thoughts with the audience. So thank you again. Peter, I would like to start our conversation by talking a little bit about your path. How did it start? When did you become interested in natural medicine, in natural ways of healing? To be honest, I've wondered about that myself. I've managed to tease out certain threads and I think one thing is just an innate connection with the plants, you know, and herbs and natural healing. Now, uh, back in the 80s, I was already taking Tai Chi classes, yoga classes, shiatsu. <laughs> I was beginning to be intrigued by Chinese culture and Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I was brought up in a family of musicians. Everyone in my family was involved in music in one way or another, either professionally or on an amateur level. I was always I always felt pushed you know, towards a musical career, one mm-hmm. which, which I could easily pursue, but I didn't want to end up becoming one of, of millions of piano teachers. So anyway, one day I was talking with a good friend. We were walking over Hampstead Heath in London, and I told him my dilemma. Should I pursue a musical career or try to do something within the context of herbal medicine, Chinese culture, and all that? And in fact, I wanted to apprentice with him in tuning pianos. Uh-huh. But he, was, he was actually a professional piano tuner, as, as amongst many other things. And he stopped in his tracks and looked at me and said, Peter, what, why do you want to tune pianos when you have the possibility of tuning people? Uh-huh. I said, tuning people? What do you mean? He said, acupuncture. And, and bingo, that lit something in my brain. And within a few months, I was enrolled in acupuncture school. How fascinating. And so you've been practicing as a medical herbalist, clinical aromatherapist, and a practitioner of Chinese medicine, specifically acupuncture, and I'm assuming some Chinese herbs as well. How did mm-hmm. all of these components come together for you? Right. Well, these pursuits definitely overlapped, but they were basically one step after another. I, I, you know, I finished my acupuncture training. Um, then I did a British herbal medicine training because I was forever reading everything I could get hold on herbal medicine. I remember reading uh, Maud Greaves' Thick mm-hmm. Herbal mm-hmm. front to back over a two-month period. I mean, insane. And I don't know what what drove me to that, what my motivation was, except that that I I just loved it. I just loved Mm -hmm. the whole thing. But anyway, I was was doing some postgraduate studies in Paris, France, and I met up with a friend of mine, originally from Chicago. She had moved to Paris and decided to drag me to a natural pharmacy. 
in Paris, meeting the pharmacist Olivier Dier and his wife really was the biggest single turning point in my life. Mm -hmm. Because Henri, not only was he in a direct lineage of essential oil producers from Provence in the south of France, but he was also, of course, a fully qualified pharmacist. Him and his wife ran a completely 100% natural pharmacy with mm -hmm. botanical products right up to the ceiling, including herbs, lotions. I mean, everything we know now, now natural pharmacists are sprouting up all over the place. They have for a while. But we're talking about the 1980s, specifically right. 1981. So my eyes just popped open, and I, I knew I had to apprentice with this practitioner. And I basically got introduced to the French herbal medicine tradition, which included the internal use of essential oils, mm -hmm. you know, which is something people now glibly call clinical aromatherapy, which really doesn't cut it at all. We're talking about a, a French tradition of botanicals in, that includes using essential oils as one of many forms. So an essential oil in the French clinical tradition is alongside a tincture, a syrup, that's all the topical preparations, you know? That's all it is. Ami taught me the basic protocols, the nuts and bowls of prescribing in the French medical tradition, specifically with the essential oils. That was the, the real gift that, that he gave me. Fascinating. Is there one of these practices that has been predominant in your own medical practice? Is it acupuncture? Is it aromatherapy? Is it herbal medicine? Or are you effectively combining all three of them? That's a great question. Essentially, I combine them as I need for mm -hmm. my patients and, and clients. I can draw on all three of those that you mentioned. Fundamentally, I consider myself a practitioner of herbal medicine. But at the same time, with my being imbued in, in Chinese culture and, and Tai Chi and then subsequently acupuncture, it made just as much sense to me to, to use British herbs in my practice alongside acupuncture treatment. So that was a huge endeavor, exploring the energetic properties of Western herbs, basically. Many years later, that resulted in my two-volume book, the energetics of Western herbs. Peter, I reached out to you and I told you that one of my previous guests, Sam Kaufman, when asked if there is one book that he still uses quite consistently, he did mention uh, your book. The, the energetics of Western herbs has gone through four fully revised editions. Mm -hmm. And several months ago, it was actually republished in one volume in the UK. And the, the publisher told me that, that book changed his life. I've subsequently discovered that many herbalists in England still rely on, on that book, which I find really heartwarming, actually. So let me actually take a step back. Essential oils and aromatherapy have been an area of your life that you have devoted a large amount of time, especially in recent years. What is it about aromatherapy uh, itself that has such a strong pull on you as a practitioner and plant lover? I would modify that question, take it apart into two questions. The first part is, is the pull of essential oils as opposed to tinctures and so on. Well, I used to make all my own tinctures. I had, I had 
dozens and dozens of tinctures that I made myself with the help of friends. I used to make formulas of you know, combining Western and Chinese herbs using Chinese herbal formula guidelines, formulating according to Chinese formula prescriptions. And uh, But then in the 90s, the FDA really came down on the herbal medicine industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, they changed all the labeling laws, blah, blah, blah. And I saw the writing on the wall. And I said, this is too much. Either you have to join the game or pull out and do something different. Okay. Luckily, I decided to pull out of the herbal okay. medicine manufacturing. You know, I had a small tincture business, basically, in, in addition to the needs of my own practice. And But I decided to pull back and to concentrate on essential oils instead. Okay. But from a practical point of view, it wasn't and is not subject to the same laws of internal delivery. So the reason is simply practical. I've intensified my research, my interest in, in essential oils. But the other reason, I've always been really enthralled by the way that a plant can express its inner nature in fragrance or scent. Scent really is a deep expression of the plant for those plants that have an appreciable you know, quantity of essential oil in the first place. Right. Okay? So that's one thing. The, the other thing is that it opens up the whole dimension of aroma and the, the limbic system. In other mm-hmm. words, what, what now I would call true aroma therapy. Not one word, but two words, aroma therapy. Utilizing the limbic system as a delivery pathway to uh, to affect the, the psychology, the spirit of the mind, the moods, the whole, all of that. So that's a whole other dimension, which of course can be accessed through internal intake of, of plants. But plants have to go through the digestive system mm-hmm. for the essence of it to be extracted before it reaches the brain circulation and the, the neuroendocrine system, the microbiome, etc. With essential oils, it's so fast and so quick. It's astonishing. So those are three reasons right there that, that I, I gravitated more and more to using aromatic plants in, in, in essential oil form. And, of course, I, I pres- I've always prescribed essential oils along with tinctures. One of the basic internal delivery methods of essential oils is to put approximately one drop of essential oil um, in per one ounce of tincture. And then the alcohol content will, of course, disperse that. Mm-hmm. And the result is a much stronger medicine and more diffusive as well. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah. I want to actually spend a little bit of time talking about essential oils. On your website, okay. you talk about fragrance categories of fragrance profiles and i was hoping that you could talk to us about those and give some examples in each category right well so of course i I got that idea from the the way that chinese medicine classifies the different tastes of herbs so it's not just the, the catechism of the bitter taste does this the sweet taste does that and and so on it's also the deep recognition that that taste has qi, taste has energy, right? Eventually, I realized that I I could transpose that to the olfactory level. So instead of talking about a taste, we can actually talk about a sweet fragrance, a sharp fragrance, a spicy, 
a woody, a rooty. In other words, use the language that per- natural perfumers have been using for thousands of years mm-hmm. uh, and interpret those fragrance qualities in energetic terms. So my speculation was uh, to interpret those perfumers' fragrance categories as energetically potent and therapeutically effective and viable. You know, that's a huge step. That's a huge gamble that I took, and it's paid off. It actually works. It really, it really works. Over the years, I de- developed a system of six essential fragrance categories, uh, pungent, sweet, green, woody, rooty, and lemony. So the pungent category, for example, actually subdivides into fresh pungent and spicy pungent. Spicy pungent are the spicy, aromatic herbs. Most of them are carminative. They're GI stimulants. The fresh pungent are the ones that, when inhaled, they tend to open the sinuses, disinfect the airways, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. stimulate immune functions. Most of them are strongly antiviral as well. For example, cajaput oil from East Asia, rosemary um, is another one, Rabinsara. Many of these come from other countries. Rabinsara from Madagascar, Niauli also from Southeast Asia, eucalyptus. The, the eucalypts basically fall in this category as well, especially the narrow-leaf eucalyptus, which is a species radiata. It's a potent antiviral should be commonly used as a fresh pungent category type of oil. So energetically what it does, it, it, it brings the chi, the energy, up to the head. Specifically, it targets the lungs and the, and the brain. Mm-hmm. All the different oils have a strong propus, which is affinity for certain organs, systems, body parts, cells, and so on, just like herbs do, right? Herbs, herbs. So the a traditional term for the fresh pungent Oils would be cephalic, right? As in culpepper, etc. There are oils that are cordial that go to the heart. The oils that are nephritic that go to the kidneys. You know, all remedies not only have a certain actions and indications, but they also have specific landing sites or affinities. Or I, I like the word tropism. Tropism. Mm-hmm. You know, they hone towards certain body systems, cells, etc. For example, myrrh has a huge tropism for the mucous membrane. That's why it's able to completely regenerate the mucosa, stop discharges, etc., etc. It has a really big polyvalent action on the mucosa. And, and the same with oils. Okay, that's awesome. And so the first category that you mentioned, so also pungents, but you said dry pungent. Am I getting it correctly? So there is fresh well, pungent? The, 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 yeah. Fresh pungent and spicy pungent. Spicy. And so the spicy Which, ones, you are thinking things like ginger and turmeric? What cardamom, What else would cardamom? Okay. Nutmeg, black pepper, the, the okay. tropical spices. Okay. Both in herbal medicine and in essential oil medicine, they have a strong affinity for the GI tract and for the respiratory system. Mm-hmm. They're considered heavier than the fresh pungent, which are lighter, which move up to the brain, right? The spicy pungent don't move so much up to the brain. They start lower down in the gut, 
the wonderful for, for a variety of gut problems, gastrointestinal disorders, as, as well as certain respiratory conditions. Okay, that's wonderful. Quick pause and a reminder for you. We are talking about six different categories of fragrances influenced by Peter's knowledge of Chinese medicine. One of my favorites on this list is lemony oils. As a result, one listener of this episode will have an opportunity to win citrus essential oil sampler from Snow Lotus, which is Peter's essential oil company. To participate in the giveaway, please head over to co-fee.com slash plantloveradio and comment on the giveaway post or head over to the show notes plantloveradio.com slash 68 and look for the link for podcast bonuses. Now back to the episode. What about some of the other ones? So you mentioned pungent, green, woody, sweet, lemony, and rudy. Can you give us some other examples and uses? Okay. The huge categories are the green oils. I subdivided them into two basic subcategories, the sweet green and the pungent green. Mm -hmm. So lavender, that you mentioned earlier, is actually technically a sweet green. Mm -hmm. Sweet green oils from the energetic or Chinese medicine perspective, move stagnation. So anything that is stuck, basically, it, lavender and other sweet green oils like blue tansy, Roman chamomile, sweet marjoram, German chamomile. These are all sweet green oils that, that are excellent for stuckness or stagnation. And <clears throat> the beautiful thing about these is when they're inhaled, they also work on the psychological dimension of stagnation. In other words, stuck feelings, emotions that we can't let go of, specifically distressed feelings Mm -hmm. that we know we should let go, move on, but we can't. So those oils are excellent for that, uh, those kind of stuck stuck feelings and, and emotions. That's wonderful. Thank you. What about some of the lemony? I love all the higher notes. They always make me feel so happy. Can you talk a little bit about those? <laughs> okay. Well, lemony oils, again, are uplifting. The energy of lemony is uplifting and cephalic. They, they definitely go to the, the brain, limbic system, amygdala, and so on. The, the main lemonies, and the most useful, I would say, is, is bergamot oil. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's a true mood balancer, as well as a a mental stimulant. It's a gentle cerebral stimulant and and mood balancer at the same time. I have a blend called Citrus Bliss, which is my survival blend when I travel. Okay. <laughs> oh, why is that? Yeah. Tell us why it is a survival blend. It contains three citrus oils, bergamot, grapefruit, and red mandarin. Oh, I, I can only imagine the aroma. Can't go wrong with those. <laughs> that blend actually works like a glorified bergamot. You know, mm-hmm. it's balancing and slightly relaxing to the central nervous system, mm-hmm. and it can be used by inhalation. You can dab it a drop on on the wrist and mm-hmm. massage it with both wrists. You can dab a bit on the pulse points, perfume pulse points. Then there's the internal use application as well, which is. Similar but different, working on upper GI, basically. Again, the theme of stagnation, gastric sluggishness, dyspepsia, 
You talked about pungent green and lemony fragrance profiles. Uh -huh. Would you be able uh -huh. to touch upon the woody, sweet, and rooty? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> woody oils are extremely important nowadays. Energetically, woody oils make us centered, stable, and strong. Mm -hmm. I, I know people who have gone psycho because of this pandemic. In addition to the rampant confusion, the, the paranoia, the rampant anxiety, it, it's absolutely horrible. I've never seen anything like it. So essential oils <laughs> to the rescue. Mm -hmm. This makes, this whole scenario we've seen since February has made the rooty oils extremely clinically useful. Okay. Because what they do is they ground and center us. Mm -hmm. And they make us strong. They bring us back to our bodies mm -hmm. instead of anxious, frazzled, and paranoid in our heads, in our minds. Right. right. So what are some of the examples of woody oils? The, the, the emperor of the woody oils, especially the, the, the subcategory sweet woody, is, of course, sandalwood. The true sandalwood oil. It's a classic, timeless sweet woody oil. One that's less expensive, almost as effective as are the cedarwood oils. Mm -hmm. Personally, I've always preferred this Moroccan cedarwood called Atlas cedarwood from the Atlas Mountains in North Morocco. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful oil, just the scent. We put it on acupuncture points. We, we inhale it. We put it on reflex zones on the feet, etc., etc. There's many ways to use these oils. But the sweet woody oils can, can, uh, is one of the categories that you can use pretty freely in many different ways. It's very forgiving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And another one that's stronger is myrrh. Myrrh, okay. although it's a resin, obviously right. not a tree, it acts like a tree. Energetically, it, it's stabilizing, grounding, centering, and so on. That, that's great. What about sweet oils? The signature effect of, of the sweet fragrance is to harmonize and regulate. For example, going back to bergamot, bergamot is, is considerably sweet. It has a lot of sweet energy, and that's what makes it a, a beautiful mood balancer. Mm -hmm. um, slightly down, depressed, uh, bergamot can lift your spirits. It can lift your mood. On the other hand, if you're feeling frazzled and anxious, bergamot oil, by inhalation or putting it on the air point, shenmen, Bergamot oil will actually settle you, calm you down. It's a relaxant. So it's a true mood balancer. Mm -hmm. The same is true of the red mandarin, the green mandarin, or the sweet orange, which is the, the kid's favorite. So those are examples of sweet. Another category of sweet are the rosy sweet, rose absolute, rose oil, geranium. Those are the main ones. The rosy sweet oils, the function is, is emotional support. Someone who maybe needs emotional support because they're grieving, they've lost someone, um, they've, they've had any kind of shock or trauma. So rosy sweet oils are emotionally supportive and they, they promote emotional integration. For example, oh. if their heart is saying one thing, their mind is saying another thing, they're not all one person. The rosy sweet have the beautiful ability to help you come together, to, to harmonize your emotional village, so to speak. That's lovely. Yeah. Thank you. And what about the rooty ones? So the last fragrance profile. The rooty oils are the big grounders. They bring you down to earth. They connect you with the earth that you're standing on. 
they, they bring the energy down from the head to the feet. So if you're overthinking, anxious, frazzled, or in fact, any type of excess energy in the head, it could be high temperature, you know, it could be someone bursting with anger, with a red complexion. Right? Mm-hmm. In all those scenarios, there's excessive energy in the head. The root oils bring that energy down to the feet. Mm-hmm. The main root oil that's pleasant enough to be used is uh, vetiver, essential oil, and it's actually a root. Okay. There's others, but most of those are an acquired taste for most okay. people. Okay. All right. That's great. Peter, thank you so much. I actually want to ask you about the internal use because some of the larger companies are recommending internal use and I am super careful about this. But I also have heard from aromatherapists that have been working for many years that do not have necessarily the same training that you do. They are very cautious about taking oils internally. Can you talk a little bit about this? Sort of like dispel any myth. The simple answer to part two of your question is that they're not trained in internal medicine. Okay. In other words, nor are they trained in the internal use of essential oils. And so to to cover themselves, they they advise caution. It's just a political stance. I understand. But for someone that is learning about oils from Instagram, I think that that's a good advice. Do not use oils internally, right? So someone that has your level of experience and training, that's a totally different concept. And once again, I want you to talk a little bit about this for our audience so they understand when can you actually use this information to make decisions, to incorporate it into various preparations they are consuming and ingesting and when it is not a good idea. Okay. Looking at the big context, unfortunately, the little true clinical information that is available, especially in the English language, is completely warped by the the multi-level companies. Mm -hmm. We all know who they are. Right. Uh, Unfortunately, that is the huge context, and it distorts and mystifies conversations at every level between professionals, aromatherapy enthusiasts. It it creates massive confusion. So that's the big picture. Internal use opens up several issues. One of the most basic issues is the quality of the oil. Mm -hmm. A big precondition for using internally is that you must have essential oils that are guaranteed 100% pure. And, of course, every company says the same thing. So how is the beginner supposed to know without hiring their own lab? Right. And even that isn't foolproof. Right. How do they know where to start? It invokes a big trust issue as well. You know, people trust certain companies. They mistrust others. They trust certain teachers. With my company, there's a huge trust element. People trust me because I'm a trained teacher, and I've been educating for over 35 years. People recognize that. They recognize the quality of the oils. They put two and two together, bingo. But that's a rare situation. To have that happen is extremely rare. You know, most companies are don't have that 
ability. I actually want to talk a little bit about your company. So when did you start? Could you talk about the mission of Snow Lotus? What are some of the unique features or differences that separate you from other companies? Well, the mission has always been to source the really high-quality oils that that are completely 100% bioavailable in terms of physiology, bioavailable to the cells. And secondly, in in energetic terms, they have a lot of chi or prana. So again, to achieve this criteria, I talk about that in one of the chapters in Aromatica Volume 1, the specific criteria that an oil needs to meet in order to be completely bioavailable, 100% pure, etc., etc. And it's not just about purity. It's not just about organic certification. It's really beyond that. It's, for example, the quality of the plant material, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the distillation method, right? how many weeds are taken out before the Roman chamomile goes into the still. Mm-hmm. No one knows that. For example, there's also a percentage of weeds that goes into every batch that, that is distilled. A good quality oil should have minimum quantity of actual weeds. That's something that, that is never quantified. And it's beyond organic certification, etc., etc. Right. So how do you achieve this level of pure and what do you do to procure the actual oils? I, I travel to meet my producers. Okay. <laughs> I spent over 30 years traveling. I've traveled to probably most Mediterranean countries. Mm-hmm. I would say about 70% of the oils that, that I obtain are from Mediterranean countries, okay. especially countries like Morocco, Egypt, Bulgaria, a few in, um, in uh, Bosnia, Herzegovina, and, and so on. I know the producers. I've established human-based commercial relationships based on good, ethical, and e- e- ecologically sound business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is wonderful. This is one of the reasons why I am uh, a huge fan of your company and I love purchasing oils through Snow Lotus. I know where they come from and the distillers or producers, how much energy they put into creating the best and the most pure uh, quality of the oil. So thank you for talking about this. We touched upon a little bit earlier the comparison between different companies, what you're doing, that you're meeting your distillers, that you're meeting the producers of the actual oil. Is that a typical situation for most of the companies? Or would you say that's not what usually does? No, completely untypical. Most big companies purchase from big brokers in the U.S. There are huge brokers in the U.S., serve anyone who wants to buy them, including the food flavoring industry, the perfumery industry, the soft drinks industry, etc. Most of those are commercial type oils, commercial type oils as opposed to the artisan oils. They're not as rich. Without going into technical details, let's just say the commercial oils (laughs) rather than what what I call artisan. It's the method of distillation itself that shows the biggest differences mm-hmm. um, a, a lavender oil can actually be distilled commercially in about 15 20 minutes if you use superheated steam mm-hmm. high pressure from an external steam generator it takes 15 minutes mm-hmm. but you get an oil that isn't rich it's, it's flat it doesn't have 
the rich top notes and the bass notes, like with a speaker system. A good hi-fi system has extended highs. If you have a subwoofer, it has nice, rich lows and so on. Same with essential oils. It's that you need an artisan distillation to produce those extended highs and the rich bass. And to do that with a lavender oil, for example, doesn't take 15 minutes. It takes an hour and a half. Uh That's what it takes because the steam is at a lower temperature. The the time it takes to distill the the batch is much longer, et cetera, et cetera. The vapor pressure is lower and, and so on. So there's a huge difference. It's very interesting for me when someone is just starting to learn about essential oils, you learn there are toxic constituents that can be used to extract the aromatic principles. You also learn that steam distillation is a lot safer and better, but now you're taking it for us to a different level, explaining that the steam distillation can actually be done in various ways and the result in oil is going to to show these huge differences. Absolutely. Distillation is a fine art and it's been practiced since the beginning of time. And I just want to insert a sticky note that for most of civilization, the the main product of steam distillation, in fact, probably the only product of steam distillation was not essential oil. It was an aromatic water. Right. The hydrosol. The hydrosol. Right. And the main the main aromatic water has always been rose water, mm-hmm. which comes from Central Asia, from Bukhara. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, the rose is the tree of life. So rose water was the life-giving water that irrigated not Chinese civilization, Persian civilization, and then fast forward to Mesopotamia, Greece, and, and Europe. And eventually rose water was used in the for making cookies, biscuits, etc. Right, right, right. It was only in the early Middle Ages, alchemists even became interested in separating the oil from the aromatic water. Before that, no one can prove, in fact, all evidence shows that there was no interest and no use for the essential oil. It wasn't user-friendly at all, Mm -hmm. unlike the aromatic water. How interesting. You make me think about an interview that I did a few months back with a American herbalist, Erica Galenton. One of her specialties is doing these hydrosols. For our listeners, I am going to include uh, the link to that episode where she's talking about hydrosols and how she's using a lot of the hydrosols for her clients. Thank you so much for bringing this up. Very, very interesting. So once again, in hydrosol, we have the molecules of the oil that are dispersed through that water, right? When we actually looking at the essential oil itself, there is a separation where the water is one layer and the oil is a a different layer. And so this is what is collected and used uh, as an essential oil, correct? Uh, Yes and no. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) A true aromatic water or hydrosol is a separate distillation from the oil. The, the two are an oil okay. and a, a should not be distilled at the same time. How? Some producers are getting away with selling sandalwood, hydrosol, laurel, hydrosol, etc., but they're not making a separate distillation. They're simply selling the leftover water after they've recuperated <laughs> the essential oil. I understand. Not a good idea. Not so- a good idea. 
how would you do it differently? Like if you're distilling for the oil versus you're distilling for a hydrosol? Yeah, if you're distilling for the oil, it has to be either completely dry or semi-dry. It depends on the plant material. For example, Roman chamomile is kind of semi-dry or three-quarters dry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, it sits in Bulgaria. They let it sit for on, the, on a stone floor for three or four days to dry a little bit before they actually distill it. Lavender, no problem. It can go in right away. You know, So every plant is different. Coriander seed should dry for three weeks in order to get the stinky insect smell from the seed. Interesting. If it's not dried for three weeks, uh, you'll get a poor, stinky coriander seed oil, which, okay. again, which is commercially, of course, available. That's really fascinating. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. But that's just one detail of, of among many that goes into the art of, of essential oil production. On the other hand, an aromatic water or hydrosol should use fresh plant material. And the, the reason for that, a true aromatic water or hydrosol not, not only captures the aromatic essential oil molecules, it actually captures most water-soluble molecules in the plant, in the herb. Now, that's amazing. So we're actually getting the benefits of an infusion alongside a little bit of oil distillation. Very, very interesting. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, so for example, one of the favorites in France is is blue cornflower aromatic water or hydrosol, which is used for tired eyes, stressed eyes, styes in the eyes and so on. It doesn't contain any essential oil. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It just contains you know, the usual herbal compounds. Mm-hmm. So a hydrosol is not limited um, to aromatic plants. Plantain was another favorite hydrosol in the past, plantain water. You just have to look at the old herbals. Any herbal pre-1700 will contain descriptions of aromatic waters and their uses. Very, very interesting. Thank you. So in my next question, I wanted to ask you about your two-volume publication, which is called Aromatic, a Clinical Guide to Essential Oil Therapeutics. As I mentioned earlier, I love your books, and I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more about this particular two-volume set. Who would be a perfect reader, perhaps? How is it different from something else that people may be uh, reading on aromatherapy? Essentially, the two-volume aromatic set is for someone interested in the therapeutic applications of essential oils, the clinical therapeutic applications. It actually includes the internal use of the oils and the psychological application through olfaction, which are completely different areas of treatment. It actually encompasses both. The separate sections for internal actions and indications of the oils and then the possible psychological functions of the oils as well. Wonderful. Thank you. I'll definitely include the links to both volumes of Aromatica. So two more questions for you. How can our listeners learn more about you and from you? So perhaps your newsletter, your site, any of the workshops that are coming up, anything along those lines? The simplest way is to go to the website, which is snowlotus.org, and browse around. Mm -hmm. And 
you'll see the shopping aspect. On the right, you'll see the books and continuing education seminars. The best way to keep in touch and to, and to get the newsletters is to just to sign up for that. Okay, that's wonderful. I want to thank you for this conversation. Do you have any parting thoughts for us about aromatherapy, essential oils, herbal medicine, or anything else? I would say collectively, we need to treating the oils with respect for the amazing remedies they are, for their use as physiological remedies, olfactory or aromatherapeutic remedies. And that requires an, an approach that's respectful. And what I'm trying to counterbalance is the vulgarization, the complete <laughs> bottom of the barrel vulgarization and commercialization of essential oils that we see nowadays in this country, you know, worldwide. That's what we're up against. And that's what we need to counteract. You know, essential oils and aromatic waters or hydrosols were always considered almost sacred. The sacred remedies, sacred perfumes, they were used for ritual, etc., etc. We've lost that and we need to bring it back. The whole psycho-spiritual historical dimension that we need to connect with once again. Peter, thank you so much again. This was absolutely enlightening and really fascinating. Thank you. Thank you, Lana. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today for this conversation with Peter Holmes. I hope you have enjoyed it. To get to all the resources mentioned in today's episode, please head over to the show notes at plantloveradio.com slash 68. Also, in the show notes, you will find information about a live webinar on the treatment of immune disorders with essential oils that Peter will be offering within the next couple of weeks. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting me once or on a monthly basis. The best way to do this is through the website where I post the giveaways co-fee.com slash plantloveradio. You can also find the link in the show notes or on my website. Are you listening to Plant Love Radio for the first time? Please subscribe to the podcast to seamlessly get future episodes downloaded to your device. I'm so thrilled to introduce you to many amazing guests and topics. And of course, nothing says thank you better than sharing this show with a friend who might enjoy it and giving us a five-star rating and review. Thank you so much in advance. The music you hear in the introduction was written by a neighbor of mine, David Scholl, and is called Something About Cat. My deepest gratitude to Bill Gilligan for this opportunity to play it. Thanks again for being here today. I really appreciate you. Till the next time, thank you for loving plants and planting love.